This is Colossus, and you are listening to The High Regard Show. The High Regard Show. It's playing for all the marbles. Check out The High Regard Show. New episodes every Monday. I read the news today. Hey everybody, I'm Tom. And I'm Nikki. And this is the High Regard Show. In which we talk about things we hold in high regard. Very high. High above Harlem. Way up on the third floor. Moving on up. Oh, it don't get better than that. No, sir, it doesn't. (laughs) And Happy New Year to you, you curmudgeon. And Happy New Year back, you curmudgeon, too. Mm. Welcome to take three of the High Regard Show. I think this one's going to be a good one, because I think we're starting to defrost now. Do you really? I do, yeah. Because we're both like pushing each other's buttons to the point where we're like almost laughing. Is it because I'm about to set this whole place on fire? Is it we're going to defrost, is it? No. I might. You can. Go ahead. It doesn't really make a difference. <laughs> All right. Anyway, Happy New Year, everyone. <laughs> As you can see, the Bickersons' New Year is off to a typical start. <laughs> Well, how else would a show start? This is pretty much how it always starts, isn't it? Well, we do have, you know, a shtick. Mm, I think so. It's not really a shtick, though. Is it? It could be. Well. Maybe I'm just not as annoying as you think that. You think I, I am? am. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really, Derek Zoolander? <laughs> when did you show up for today's show? <laughs> Who would have known we have two guests in one show today? We do. We're lucky. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, we do have a guest this week, and it's actually a very entertaining guest who has a lot to share with us. So, yes, why don't we, before we get into that, get into what you heard so we can then slide right into what we need to. That sounds good to me, Tom. You sound so pleasant right now. Anything to be accommodating makes me want to choke you more. (laughs) (laughs) I know. And uh, roll the music. You heard? Thank you. <laughs> this week's You Heard comes to us from the A train at 59th Street. <clears throat> Look at the it was, yes. (laughs) That was my very like "Mm, yes. Look at the motion. Look at the chains. Oh, because you paused between the first one and the second one, I thought maybe there was a third one coming. No, it was just those two. It was just that. That was yeah. it. That was the whole thing. It was like this douche that was talking like really, really loud on the train. And he was staring at like some like this was back in like the summer or something and he was staring at some ad that featured like one of the Jenners like Kylie or Kendall or something and she was like wrapped in chains or something and he was like he spouted like all of this like artistic stuff about this like ad that featured like a half naked whatever Jenner it was wait a minute was it for Adidas it might have been like it was something like she was wearing like a fur coat or something and like a bikini and something else. Like, I honestly don't know what like the ad was, but it was just like like he he was sitting there giving like like a frat boy dissertation on like why this was like such a great ad. 
If it's the one I'm thinking of, it really wasn't that. No, it wasn't. It was just like a shitty ad. Yeah, I don't. Well, whatever, man. But the way that he said, yeah. But the way that he said, like, look at the motion, look at the chains. Like it just was like it just reminded me of like found objects, which kind of ties in with this week's guest, Tom. It certainly does. So why don't we bow out of your herd, and then get into this week's guest's intro? I'm bowing as we speak. You know, your radio persona is so much more pleasant than your real persona sometimes because the other two takes was a totally different Nikki, you know. But it was still the same Tom, so I mean... Well, I have consistency. <laughs> and integrity in my art, I guess, is what integrity. one could say. Integrity <laughs> in my art. I just stay true to myself. As the old Pratt slogan says... Be true to your work and your work will be true to you. I'm being true to myself because I am my work. A work in progress. Well, that's very deep, Tom. Well, thank you. Uh, it's not like I was looking at a Kylie Jenner ad and just spouting things off right now. But, I would you hope know, not. I would hope not. I'd never allow such a thing in our home. <laughs> I would never. I can't even believe there's still a thing, man. Yeah. Jesus. I don't know. Maybe this world coming to an end isn't such a bad thing after all. I saw like a bunch of people like toward the end of the year, like, you know, after everybody like pretty much died in 2016. I saw like so many people saying like putting pictures like there's still four days left. And it's like a picture of like the entire Kardashian family. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but we wouldn't mourn that. We would just be like, oh, yeah, I don't think that would be that big of a deal. Not to us. I mean, you know. Yeah, Carrie Fisher was kind of a big deal. But, I mean, who's who's the most important person, like, that died over this past year? Because there was so many there people. There were so many, it's hard to, like... You really can't narrow it down to just one. I think the most brutal one for me, personally, was David Bowie. Mm, yeah, maybe. Like, that I... was just, like, out of complete nowhere. I mean, but so was Prince, so was Alan Rickman, who I, you know, I love them as well. But, I mean, just David Bowie was just, like, he's just one of those people that you always thought was just going to be there forever. I mean, like, didn't you think that he'd be, like, as old as, like, the Stones and, like, just keep going and going and going and going? Yeah, and he'll be, like, Zoolander. Like, he'll be, like, in every Zoolander movie, (laughs) like, up to, like, number 13. (laughs) Yeah, that was the most heartbreaking to me because I just, I love David Bowie, so. Well, yeah, we listen to David Bowie all the time. And, I mean, we I listen to Prince every so often yeah but the thing with prince is i feel like he hasn't really made anything that i would personally listen to now right whereas like when david died we were just getting into like the new album and it was just like and it took on such a more poignant you know feel because of how that album is and i still have like it's been almost a year and i still have like a really hard time listening to that album yeah man it's um it's it's it, it is very hard to pick just one person, but I mean Carrie Fisher. I mean like right now with like Star Wars mania happening all over the place right now and blowing up as it is. I mean she was like right in the thick of you know another resurgence. She really was, and like, but she always was like, and like I know a lot of people are saying this. You know, she was just such a strong female character. You know, for, like, little girls, I mean, like, she had to have been, like, one of the first 
dolls that were was so badass you know what i mean like because barbie was just like oh i'm doing this i'm you know i'm like barbie was doing what women are supposed to be doing looking good and cooking (laughs) (laughs) is that it with her tiny waist and her big bosom like carrie fisher was just she was sexy and she was just also like her own person and like that was really you know, and she knew her way around a laser gun. She did. So, I mean, yeah. Definitely <laughs> and she some looked good doing points. it. <laughs> That's right. But, I mean, it's it's just so so bizarre, man. Because just when, you, like, a week ago, everybody's like, thank God 2016 is finally over because of all the losses we had. And still they keep coming. And yeah. it's like, you've got to be kidding me, man. Yeah. And it's like, I, I mean, there's so many celebrity deaths like every single year. But like, this is the first time that like, I remember being like, having some connection to so many of them. Yeah. Well, different world, man. I mean, this means that you're catching up. You know what I mean? Like you're getting what, to the older. people that are dying? Well, yeah, literally, because I mean, I love how you always tell me, like, you know, you're gonna die soon, like, you, in, not in so many words, well, but like, me, you always I'm allude, gonna die soon. You are not gonna die soon. That is true. I am a lot healthier now, but I mean, we're all gonna <laughs> oh die. We are all gonna oh, die. So at that's some your point way of time. telling me that I'm not fit <laughs> enough to keep up with you. Is that? I'm what not it is? saying that. What but you're not saying. not saying that. But what I am saying, <laughs> oh, you dick, you are such a dick. What I am saying is, though, is that as you get older, it's strange because, like, when you're a kid, people die and they're, like, from, you know, they're from an older generation. So it's not like you can really be, like, going, you know, oh, I used to, like, watch this show all the time. You know what I mean? It's like I'm trying to think of one. Um, I'm trying to think of – see, like, all – like. All the deaths that I, I mean, I, so many people have passed over the years that you don't even realize are gone because they weren't producing Honestly, TV shows yeah. in your generation. Yeah. So they didn't mean that much to you. Now that you're getting older, people that you watched and know are dying off. So now it means more to you because they're closer to you in age. Like, I'm sure, like, you know, let's say my parents were watching, like, Humphrey Bogart movies. When Humphrey Bogart died, sure. it probably meant a lot to them because they were closer in right, age. Of course, to me yeah. as a little kid, I don't give a shit that Humphrey Bogart oh God, died. What do Humphrey I know? Bogart. But my point is, is that we're a lot closer in age to Carrie Fisher than Humphrey Bogart. So it right, would mean sure, a yeah, lot more to right. us that Carrie Fisher died. But Not I that you're like... going to die soon. Thanks, Tom. Thank you. Who knows? Thank you for that. <laughs> well, you're welcome. I gave you my uh, seal of living approval. <laughs> <laughs> for now. He can take it away, though. Don't forget. It. <laughs> oh, okay. I'll I'll keep my ass in line then, Tom. That's good. Bobby. We appreciate that. <laughs> so why don't you introduce like uh, this week's guest, so we could just get the hell out of this wormhole we're falling down right now? Well, I would love to, Tom. I would love for you too. <laughs> so this week's guest is musician slash. Filmmaker slash artist slash a billion other things, Skip Sherry. I love this guy. I mean, I just like, I loved talking to him. It was one of the most fun interviews that I've done in like a really, really long time. Like, he was just so inspiring. And, you know, he's, um, he's releasing a new album and it's called, um, 
Oh my God, where is my email? I'm so sorry. Because it has a really long title, which is fabulous. It's called A Bottle of Whiskey and a Handful of Bees. And you definitely should download it on iTunes. It's going to, um, he's going to have a album release show at National Sawdust in Brooklyn on January 9th with special guests Rhiannon Giddens and Xavier, who both appear on several tracks on the album, um, which actually comes out on the 13th of January. So we talked to him about the making of the album. We talked to him about how he would re- he recorded this album um, while he was working with this like circus arts perf- like this performing arts circus, like traveling all over the world, like spending time in London, going to Bogota, Colombia, and he in between like shows and performances, he would fly back to Brooklyn, you know, get in wor- like music making mode and make this album at this really famous studio in Brooklyn called BC Studios and let's roll that fabulous bean footage okay Okay, Skip, thanks so very much for talking to the High Regard Show. We're really excited to have you on this week. I'm very pleased to be talking to you. Well, thank you. Um, The forthcoming album, um, A Bottle of Whiskey and Handful of Bees, is your first solo outing since 2010 Sonic New York. Why the long break? (laughs) I'm so embarrassed by this. I I raised $21,000 for for this album on Kickstarter. which was amazing. Right. And it was happening at a point where nothing was happening in my career. So I thought, you know, well, fuck it. About 11 months after the last album, I'll just do it again. You know, I'll probably be able to raise more money this time. So I did that, and then just things just hit. One, one after another, I got a United States artist grant. It's this huge grant, and I used it to buy equipment and a mm-hmm. uh, new computer and uh, software that a lot of it was used on the album. And then other things hit, and before I knew it, I was tour- touring for, uh, doing a three-year process, but really on the road almost straight for two years with this uh, kind of incredible contemporary circus arts show called Limbo. Right. And I was, I was, on, I was performing in London for nine months, in Bogota, Colombia, and a lot in Australia. And so it just, it was just five years of whirlwind, you know, they just, <laughs> just went. But every time I had time off, I'd come back to Brooklyn, and I would uh, working out of Martin Beesey's studio, um, uh, BC Studios, which is a legendary studio. Right. They recorded back in the day, John Zorn, uh, Herbie, the scratching on Herbie uh, uh, Hancock Crockett was done there. Uh, you know, so many legendary uh, albums. But I would come back, uh, spend a week recording, and then go see my folks in Ohio for a week. So I was a crazy, it was just a crazy <laughs> couple of years. I did 415 shows in uh, t- two years. Wow. And then suddenly here I was back in Brooklyn, and it's been like another year now just taking everything and getting it ready to come out, really. Right. It's an incredible process, yeah. And, and doing it in between, you know, doing with the limbo and, and coming mm-hmm. back, you know, was it hard for you to get in music mode, like music making mode versus, you know, what you were doing with limbo? Like, how did you keep yourself motivated to be like, I've got no, to think of an it album? Not, it was easy. And this is gonna, it's, like the, it's like the biggest musician can cliche right <laughs> you know, you're on the road you're living this kind of uh i don't know circus rock star lifestyle in a way right. you know meeting people afterwards you know drinks and everything like that 
but it was also incredibly lonely because I was at part from my New York family. Right. I love the people in the circus, but there's an age difference. I'm older than a lot of them. Right. You know, and um, but and I adore them. But you want my core people, uh, they're here in New York. So uh, I'd stay in touch with uh, Greg Wallach, who's a comedian, like one of my best friends. He's in L.A. Liam Giddens, who's a uh, an incredible singer, who mm-hmm. kind of became pretty famous right now, and she and I would just stay in touch on Facebook. So there's ways to connect. But I would that that uh, isolation and loneliness became this album, basically, and it's the album's really about searching for home again. Again, it's I understand, you know. It's like the big, you know. It's like writing, like like being in the Eagles and writing a song about how hard it is to be on the road. But <laughs> you know, if you do a job, you end up you end up stepping into those cliches because they're not cliches; they're real things. So, right, like having this incredible life, but at the same time feeling very isolated. Right, absolutely. And you know, did you did your approach to creating music change between um, Sonic New York and Bees? You know, yeah. like how did you kind of you know change your process? Well, I'm, I do I do a lot of what I call object-oriented composition, mm-hmm. which means I'm probably best known. It's funny, I get kicks when people see me play live, so they have me do other things, mm-hmm. because I'm good at taking uh, sound objects, like marbles and right. marbles and glass bowls and bells and tape together music boxes and, and creating... Uh, essentially using experimental techniques to create uh, very populist music, I would say. So it's always been like, it, it, for me, it's always about these physical things. Like I have I have all this stuff in my room, toy pianos and stuff like that. And, and the magic for people on stage is they can see how I'm doing it. Right. right. And I'm using pitch shifters to deepen the, the sound and stuff like that. But in since I was on the road, I was just composing on my computer. And I was doing other jobs, like I finished music for a film, and Craig Harwood, this uh, gay playwright, he wrote this musical called, excuse me, there's a faggot in my closet. I wrote the, all the music for that. And so I was, I, and Stoya, who's a feminist porn star, had me write mm-hmm. music for her film. So in order to do all these jobs, I would, I composed everything on my laptop. And I used all the stuff, all the money I made from the uh, Kickstarter and the, the grant to, to get really great music programs. Mm-hmm. So I learned how to use Ableton. And uh, I had been using Reason before and, you know, got Native Instruments, uh, complete eight at the time, up to 10 or 11 now. And, and then, so a lot of what I was doing was uh, composing electronically. Okay. And I, I, on the album, I don't, people don't realize often what's electronic and what's real, because so, I mix it up a lot. Right. So that's, the big, that's the big change. I, I compose this music hung like drunk coming home from the tent. Uh, I'd flip over my, over my computer and it developed sounds on top of a red d- double-decker bus. I worked in this African coffee shop and, you know, worked when burlesque performers were getting dressed around me. I could, it was a pretty colorful time, but it was, it was me with my headphones on and composing right. this music in the computer. That's, that's the difference. All right. And now you've said that the album's release party that's coming up um, in a mm-hmm. few weeks is the first time that you're bringing so many elements of your creative life together. What yeah. sort of expectations do you yourself have for this show? I think uh, I think it's going to be a, a really... I mean, I put on... I like putting on big shows. I like spectacle. Like, mm-hmm. I like... But it's not spectacle. Spectacle in the sense that... that I like to see an audience that looks totally surprised and delighted, right? Right. So, uh, and I've learned over, my approach to things is always to create, uh, 
you know, come up with simple techniques that uh, are quote unquote experimental or avant garde, mm-hmm. but are, are totally accessible. So I have some other careers. Like I compose for film, right. I do the solo stuff. I was in a Gypsy Tango Club for punk band that toured all over Europe, a luminescent orchestra. I also have this art career where I, you know, I do the, I performed at TED, TED mm-hmm. Proper, yep. with Rochelle Garnier, and internally like my mouth, and we breathe in and out of each other. I sing a tone into her mouth, she sings it back. We pull the tones slightly off of each other, it goes wah, 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 <laughs> creates beat frequencies. I'm doing these, these pieces in uh, Norway. So I teach at the, this post-dramatic theater called, an incredible place called Norwegian Theater Academy. I call it the Black Mountain College now. <laughs> um, and uh, I, I just did this whole choral, these things I call the gauntlet. I did it on the High Line, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I did it, I just did it at Cadman Church, where Merce Cunningham's uh, former assistant, uh, Pepper, works. I just did this last week. And I'm about to, we're talking to, uh, what do you, Madison Square Park. So there's these big choral pieces where the choir is on, in two rows facing each other on stools. And it's essentially a choir you walk through. So in, in this CD release party, I'm bringing it all together. Like I'm bringing the, the, you know, the strange, sexy R&B music. Mm-hmm. I have a string quartet. Reed and Giddens is coming. But I'm also doing a 20 piece choir. I'm also doing breathing <laughs> piece. Cause I'm trying to take all these elements. Uh, you know, I have, uh, that I'm, I'm trying to take these elements that have sustained me and bring them into one career. Mm-hmm. So I can go to perform, and I can I can have access to everything that I do. Right. Okay. And you're also the curator, uh, the artist curator for National Sawdust, which is where the release party is going yeah, to happen. I'm, I'm one of them. Yeah. Yeah. What does that what What does that role entail for you? For me, when I there there are artists I love so much. Like I love them so so much. Uh, uh, Baby D is a good example of one. Baby D put an album out on Drag City. I met her years ago, and uh, it's like being she's a friend of mine. But it's like being friends with Nina Simone. <laughs> she writes. She, I, t- to me, she's like the greatest songwriter alive. Okay. You know, as good as Stephen Merritt or Leonard Cohen. I, I, it's it, you know it's a big statement. But I'm like, uh, Baby D has written ten Hallelujahs in her lifetime. Maybe not as catchy, but ten songs that are that just hit you in that level. Right. She lives. She lives in uh, outside of. Uh, she lives in Holland now, but uh, you know, I bring. I get to bring her in and do a show, and I have um, you know, people sing her, her music. And then Trevor Wishart is like my great grandfather, sound experimental artist. I, I I was in New York, and I heard one of his, his eight speaker composition <laughs> was incredible. Michaela Davis puts EMS patches on the arms of musicians and it sends MIDI to it so they twitch and play their instruments involuntarily. Oh my These goodness. Are I love. <laughs> and they're really, they're really lovely people. Like they're really good people. And that's the other thing. I, I, I value, I value kindness. When I came to New York, you know, the, some of the scene that I met was, you know, you know kind of hip and, and emotionally distant. And I'm not too interested in that. I'm really interested in very visceral and kind people who are also brilliant. Right. So I get real passionate about other artists, and National Sawdust is allowing me to, to place them in New York in a really vibrant venue. Okay, awesome. Um, and, you know, can you talk a little bit about, I know you men, you touched on it a little mm-hmm. bit, but premiering The Gauntlet um, in Norway mm-hmm. on December 3rd, you know, what was that like, and how did, how did that come about? In Norway, did you just say? Yes. Oh, my goodness. I, I could talk about Norwegian Theater Academy forever. <laughs> I, uh, that came about because I was approached by Make Music New York to do a cho- cho- choir piece. Mm-hmm. And I got really interested in, 
a, a term that's called hocketing, and Meredith Monk has made it real well known. So it's in medieval singing, and hocketing is when you share a melody between you and another person. Okay. And uh, every other note. So you, I could sing a melody, but I just sing one part of it, one note, and you sing the next, and it bounces back and forth. Then I got interested in like doing with complete sentences. So I wrote a uh, there was a there was a piece I composed for at the Minneapolis Children's Theater, and uh, it was a duet between a mother and daughter. So I had the mother sing a phrase, and the daughter sing a phrase, and the mother sing a word, and the daughter sing a word. Then I had them break up the syllables between them, and it was so beautiful because they did it seamlessly. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's it's physical magic. It's like watching someone juggle. Right. Uh, and I, a lot of the stuff I do. Uh, has to do with that. Like when I perform, I roll marbles and, and bowls and send to pitch shifters. That's people's favorite part because they can they see or they perceive that they can tell how it happens. Right. So with the gauntlet, you have an audience walking through melodies that are crisscrossing and words, sentences crisscrossing through their heads and their ears. But it's not speakers; it's actual people doing it. Right. So, okay. um, so when Carmen Ellie, she used to. She was an NYU professor. We met here. Uh, we met here at House of Yes before it was a club. And I got off stage afterwards, and uh, and probably yeah, I got flirted with her. And she's like, "Oh, okay, I have a boyfriend." And but I was <laughs> like, "Oh, you know, we became really good friends, and I love her artwork." And then she ended up uh, heading this uh, theater academy. And the theater academy is acting and scenography. We don't have that term here. Scenography is. It's not set to design, but it's just the active, what's actively happening around the actors or performers on okay. stage. And uh, Serge von Arcs is Robert Wilson's scenographer. He also runs the school. So it's a small school, and it's, it's the city's 450th anniversary. And the old part of the city is all stone, and it's a fortress. And so they wanted me to come and make a piece for the city's 450th anniversary. I spent... Two weeks there, starting to develop. Then I flew to LA and did a big circus gig, <laughs> and then flew back and I workshopped these students who could all sing really well, and we developed this piece. And the best thing about this, like it's it's you know when people experience it, they've never experienced anything like it. But we we had so many people in their like 60s, 70s, and 80s walk through it and just love it, and children. And so uh, I got involved with this like we all do because I had a friend who worked there and she loved mm-hmm. my work. Right. That's awesome. I mean, it just sounds like such an experience, you know, not just for for yourself, but just for the people that are involved. It sounds like something that like you can't get anywhere. That's just incredible. I I do workshops there and like what I said, object oriented composition. Mm -hmm. You know, I teach people that they already know how to compose. You already know how to do it. Mm -hmm. You know how to make a sentence or you know how to make a meal or you know how to kiss someone. You know how to compose. You're using tension and release and build up, and and, and you're going through a story. Right. So uh, often, what I do is I I, I always find the, the students who have never played a piano, and I and I and I have them make a, a piano composition. <laughs> I, my, the idea is you should be able to approach anything and that makes sound and come up with a logical way. Uh, put things in, in a in a make it, make it a series of events that tells a story. Okay. Great. And I love, I didn't know I loved teaching, but I love teaching at this school. I just love it. It's in a really, really boring town. My joke is, imagine <laughs> Albany if it was boring. <laughs> and do you... It's a good, an amazing school. Just an amazing school. And will you now be I going back there? What's that? Will you be going back there to teach? Like, is that... Oh, yeah. Yeah? Okay, uh, absolutely, awesome. Absolutely, yeah. Awesome. A lot of people ask me to start doing the workshops here in New York, so I'm, 
I'm trying to, uh, I'm going to be figuring out how to do that. Oh, great. So. Great. And, you know, can you tell me a little bit about how you got into music? <laughs> i tell you, <laughs> I don't think I should have been a musician. I, I was just a black kid and I couldn't learn music in a normal way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I really love music. I love the Beatles. I mean, the Beatles weren't hip. When I was young, but I was obsessed with the Beatles. Right. Uh, and that will teach you a lot. Right. And it also gives, gives you the expectation for orchestration in strange sounds. Mm-hmm. And the end of Beatles songs, a lot of them uh, would have these weird, like, trail-offs, you know? Like, right, yeah. And, so, and I always wanted that part of the song to be longer. <laughs> like, I really did. And I realized at some point in my life, I'm like, oh, my God, I've done it. I'm basically <laughs> making these pieces of music that are the ends of Beatles songs, you know? Uh and then, but also for some reason, I think it's because I was dyslexic. I couldn't, I didn't have any tools, normal tools. And I remember, I, I you know, you, you, I have this really clear memory. We went to the city park, and there was a bum there. And it's like, it was, I grew up in Appalachia, Athens, Ohio, the Appalachian region. Mm-hmm. And he's sitting there, and I mean, and it was a bit of a different time period. I don't, teachers were freaked out by him. He's, sitting there, and he said, I remember him saying to us, he said, I, I invented an instrument. And he pulled out, what it, he pulled out was an aerosol cap to like a, some kind of spray bottle. And he put a fishing line through the center. And then he'd hold the other end in his teeth, and he'd twang it while pulling on the end with a cap, so it, it would make different pitches. Oh my gosh. And I, I was like, oh, that's how you make music. Like, I was just like, there you go. That's what I want to do. And then in, so that was my child's mind did that, you know, and then, and then later on, I remember when Stop Making Sense came out, I went to the movies and, you know, David Byrne gets up there and does Psycho Killer and then the, you know, the heavens parted. I'm like, I want to do that. I want to get on the stage and blow people the fuck away. (laughs) And I I can do that. Like that's, you know, I I, I achieved that. So, you know, and, you know, and I, when I first came to New York, uh, I kind of cut, was cutting my teeth. I lived in Austin, Texas for a long t- three years, and that was great. I lived all over the country. When I came here, the Ruby Lab parties, the underground parties, uh, you know, the events, you know, the nonsense New York list in New York is, is so much. I just went to Phil Klein's on Silent Night. And I, and I saw Jeff Stark that, that runs the nonsense New York list. I'm like, oh, thank you. You know, I just looked at nonsense and saw that um, it was He's like, I'm so glad people that you still hear that, and I do. <laughs> I'm always interested in, in the communities that are. I love folk music communities, and mm-hmm. I define folk music as music that people make for their immediate community using the the materials immediately uh, available in their environment. Right, like absolutely. Hip hop. I love the brass band scene, the underground brass band scene that's all over the world. Like it's so fascinating. You can't make money from it. It's the punk of now. But this is this kind of thing that gets 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 me really excited. So. Actually, now I forget what the whole purpose of what I was saying was. <laughs> well, it was just about how you got into music, and it's just kind of yeah. natural that, like, seeing, you know, that bum kind of yeah. informed yeah. the way that you look at, you, you treat music, just found objects. And also the fact that folk music isn't this, there's never, music, the only time you have a form of music that solidifies is when you have a recording of it. Mm-hmm. So in, in the old time scene, the old time scene is, is you know the Appalachian music, uh, the fiddle music, which you know was in an overly simplified version of Scottish music that ended up hanging out with black people and so started to swing, right? Right. So, but even that music, there's so many people. It has to be played this way, you know. And there's always a stand-up bass player. But you see old photos of these bands; they have cellos, they have bowed cellos in harmonica players. Right. So, 
you know, so it's, there's always this myth of the past, you know, I'm really interested in the folk music moment where someone says, well, I need to make music, there's nothing here, so I'm going to skin this possum and make a banjo, <laughs> or look, if I pull back on this turntable, it makes a scratching sound, or look, I, got, I bought this cheap guitar, and I'm just going to bash out one chord, and you're going to scream on top of it. To me, <laughs> that moment, I, you know, all good artists born out of necessity, that is a moment uh, that really excites me, you right. know, and I love more complex music, too, you know, right. but still at my core is like, like, you know, if you, if you travel, which I do a lot, and you go, I've been in Italy, I've been in Adelaide, and there'll be a DJ that gets on stage and plays an early rock and roll, early American rock and roll set, and it rocks a dance to, but you would never hear that here unless you're at an antique car show. Right, right. Like, a culture never values its own folk music often, but like in the rest of the world, like, I'll, and I'll hear tunes I've never heard before, I'm like, what the hell is this? This is amazing. <laughs> so, but that feeling, that, like, that feeling of early rock and roll and punk, uh, that you know, people discovering and having to make music for themselves. I, 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 I just love it. Yeah, it's definitely fascinating, especially for me who just, mm-hmm. I, I can't make music. It's just not something right. that I can fathom, you know, that's why I have words and I talk right. and things like that. So, you know, it's just always fascinating to see but where music came from. With sound. You I, could do it. I'm going to try. If, do if you do a class in New York, I will definitely yeah. come and take it. <laughs> and, and the thing is, you have to think of it this way. You have to cook with good ingredients. So, for instance, if if I give almost anyone like heirloom tomatoes, mm-hmm. pink sea salt, uh, fresh basil, and decent pasta, and and good olive oil, it's really hard to fuck it up. Right. Absolutely. So if you have a table full of beautiful sound objects, you just line them up. Just line them up in any way and play one after the other. And now you have a sequence. Now sing something off the top or or speak over it. You know, and then st- then you start building your composition. It's just like you do as a writing. Right. So uh, it's it sort of taking out, oh, you have to know music. It's like, no, you know how to compose. As a writer, you're a composer. As a dancer, you're a composer. As someone who makes sentences, you're a composer. Just apply that to sound and other things. All right. But That's cook a- with good ingredients. And just make sure everything is delicious so it doesn't even matter. Right. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, you've done music, circus arts, composing videos, film, teaching. You know, Mm -hmm. is there a realm left for you to immerse yourself in? I don't... (laughs) I mean, I'm I'm not too good at sports. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I I, I mean, I I like fencing. I don't don't understand the question. I I don't think I... I think I don't look at it that way. Right. You know, I just look at it... um, uh, I just I hear you here if, if you're someone who I, I always try to explain I don't since I mean it's better it's much better now that I'm older but when I was young if you said to me uh, 2 plus 2 equals 4 see that in your head I couldn't do it right, right. I couldn't physically see the the number 2 so I'm a person who had dyslexic things but what I learned to do is that with very little I could build you give me a little piece of something I'll build you a castle mm-hmm. so it's sort of a fractal intelligence right? right so all right I pick up this instrument I can only get two notes out of it all right I can sell those two fucking notes and make <laughs> people go wow right so it's that kind of thing it's like you know with you know and so that's mathematical you you have one or two axioms and with one or two axioms uh, you can you can you can build you can build anything 
Uh, you know, I was a physics student before this, so my brain kind of also thinks on that that level. So. Okay. Well, I'll definitely add that to your uh, <laughs> to your resume, <laughs> the physics student. Yeah, yeah. And and finally, you know, I mean, it mm-hmm. seems like you you fire on all cylinders. You're constantly moving mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. creating. You know, what does downtime look like for you? I go to the country. country. I hang out my, with my parents. Okay. I walk through the woods. I take runs through the woods. I swim in the lake. Mm-hmm. And if I call my friends in New York, they're like, "Oh, that's the." You're you're back home, aren't you? Because my voice gets really relaxed. <laughs> it, it, I I love I love you know, I love I love being out in the woods. I love mm-hmm. like it, it's really it's it's deep for me. You know? Right. It's not a simple thing. It's a, it's a deep relationship. So, um, yeah, that's where it is. Swimming in lakes, you know, swimming in the ocean. You know, I don't do it too much anymore. But right. yeah, I go back to my parents' house twice a year at least. So okay. yeah, that's that's what my downtown is downtime looks like awesome well it has been amazing talking to you skip thank you so much i can't wait to see uh the the show next month and you know i look forward to our workshop together (laughs) i'm gonna make it happen i'll make sure that you know all right thank you sir have a great day (laughs) bye-bye bye-bye bye back we are we are and i am so excited for him to like how like i obviously you can't tell that from the interview but i'm really excited to go to that workshop with him because you one kind of tell it from the interview <laughs> i know i was being sarcastic <laughs> for people that don't know like i will say that like because how would you know really because you're not around nikki all the time as i am but he hates me today can you feel <laughs> that like can you feel the vibe of how much tom hates me today <laughs> But it's okay because I'm feeding <laughs> off of it. I'm glad you are. It's good. But I will say that ever since the interview happened, Nikki has only been talking about this guy as like her new best friend. <laughs> like seriously, you're like going, I hope he does the class. I really want to go to the class. He's so cool and stuff. Like you really yeah. are like you have totally bought into being a part of this whole thing. Yeah, because it's just music is such a huge part of my life, and yes. I cannot make music. I can't like I can't you can, sing. Though. Well, he even told you, you can. Well, I know that that's what Come I'm on. saying. Like that's like, you know, I went into the interview because like my mom was like a really, really, really wonderful opera singer when she was younger. You know, she was she went to school for like a music scholarship and things, and she always had such a beautiful voice. And I've never been able to carry a tune. I've I took drum lessons when I was fourteen. I played one song, and that was about it. Because that's like I couldn't like I don't have good hand eye coordination. I don't have a good ear. So like, but it, I'm always fascinated by like what inspires musicians. And I know that I've said that like a billion times on the show, but I just like I love talking to people who do something that I can't fathom doing myself. And when he just like kind of like he says like you know he just makes things simple and then like they sound so much more intricate but like he's using simple things and he's like if you give if I give you these things on a table and you start just banging them around like eventually you're gonna find a rhythm that's gonna sound good and I love that because it's like maybe I'm not gonna ever like make a make music or anything like that which you know but like it's a good metaphor for life where like you could just kind of 
bang around. Kind of, you just bang around, you know? Like, you cook with good ingredients is what he said in the interview. And mm. that's like, you know, I just think that that was fascinating. I feel like they're both, like, very valid points. Like, I get the cooking with good ingredients thing as a cook myself. <laughs> and a pretty damn good one. You are a pretty damn good cook. And his, and, you know, the meal that he mentioned in there does, like, sound like something I want to make and, like, soon. <laughs> Yeah, and the banging around also was a very valid thing because we know so many people who just basically bang around and are on a fast track to success because of it. (laughs) (laughs) Am I right? Like, I mean, these are both lessons that are tried and true. They are. They are (laughs) lessons, Tom, that they are. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I feel like, you know, that's one way to go. Yeah. Another way to go is just, uh, you know, straight and narrow and wind up like us <laughs> <laughs> working hard two jobs one unpaid but we do it for the love we do it for the love of the show yeah <laughs> and for you guys because you listen like if you would just stop listening we could stop doing it but it just keeps going <laughs> don't stop listening don't stop oh man but actually skip very much reminds me of a more sane wayne coin like a, yeah, like a more together and a more about the arts. Like he he's he's more about the arts, I think, than like a Wayne Coin. Well, Wayne Coin's about the film. Like he does, like he did that weird like yeah Christmas on Mars movie, and <laughs> which was artistic As or one. just kind of like I found some aluminum foil. Let's <laughs> shoot <laughs> and roll, <laughs> pretty much, or end action. I guess I should say. Yikes! But yeah, there was just like, and the music of Skip was just—it's just like I don't know. It just got under my skin, and you know, like once in a while, just something comes along, and it's just like it gets to me, and like it sticks with me, and that's kind of like he's sticking in my bones. That's it, and I mean, that's that's good because I mean, in a time right now where there's so much music that's still coming out, like day after day, and it's like, how much of it would we actually like? I mean, we're we're lucky in a position that we like get to talk to people. We actually like the music. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like, and that's kind of like what happened here. I was like, oh, you know, this sounds interesting because he spells his name X S X I P, which was just like, you know, that's kind of like eye opening. And then it was like, I'm going to listen to the song and like see what he's about. Because like it just sounds like after reading the press release and everything, like it just sounded like something that was up our alley. And then like the music just became really cool. And I started looking into him and I was like, yeah, I'm, I have a... I got some questions for the skip. <laughs> <laughs> and he had answers for every one he of them. He really which was did. Good. <laughs> he really did. And I love that because like sometimes, you know, you get people that are just like, uh-huh, yeah. Mm. You know, like you expect some people to like elaborate and then they don't. And it's like, oh, shit. <laughs> but it was like more than just an interview. It was a conversation. And like. It was really good. It was good. a thinking man's conversation. It was a thinking man's mm-hmm. conversation. But then you're also talking about another Nikki. creative, though, which also makes yeah. a huge difference. Yeah, and it's just fascinating. Like, he just fascinates me. And that's something that author Neil Gaiman said. You know, he wrote a, you know, he, he's a really famous author, and he's like, Skip fascinates me, and his music sounds like stories. And that's true. Like, that's 100% true. Like, you get lost. And then if you watch the videos at the same, like, instead of putting it on YouTube and then, like, doing something else on your computer, like, watch the videos on YouTube because you just get lost in the story that it's telling. Yes, but one of those videos really did creep me out, though. Yeah, the bit. clown. Yeah, yeah, with Puddles. Puddles is not, was not our, that one we had to turn the computer around. I'm sorry. Yeah, and no offense <laughs> to Skip. I mean, it was no, very beautifully shot it was beautiful yes i don't want to see a clown i have a phobia yeah we're not clown people clown spiders (laughs) and water i think are you know 
It's a bit much. All three of those things are a bit much. (laughs) It's heavy. It weighs heavy on the palate. (laughs) (laughs) But um, if you want to learn more about Skip, we'll definitely have everything, you know, in the show description. But his his record release show, his record, his record release show. Oh, it is? Well, tell everybody where the hip happenings are going to (laughs) be strolling around town. Where can they they pull Skip up on the jukebox, Well, daddy-o, he (laughs) can pull it up at National Sawdust. And again, it's going to have special guests, Rhiannon Giddens and Xavier, both um, who appear on several tracks on the album that is just incredible. And uh, Choir Chameleon will be there. So, you know, definitely check it out because this is definitely something that you need to see in person, you know, because I think it's going to just be a hell of a good time and just really, really cool. All right. Well, again, thank you, Skip. Yes, Skip. Thank you. And what shall we do next? I guess we should get into a roly-poly rarity. All right. Roll the music for that. Roly-poly rarity. So. Yes. You actually were able to have some holidays. You know, because we screwed up. (laughs) I screwed up Thanksgiving. So you've had your Christmas and you've had your New Year's. So now that you've got, you know, one of the toughest times of year for people who are, you know, not only just dieting, but trying to be healthy and dealing with the stress that comes with the holidays. How do you feel going into 2017 with how you ended 2016? Better than most people, I think. Yeah? Yeah, well, I mean, most people are starting any as resolutions of, hey, you know what? I'm going to go out and be a runner this year. I'm going to lose, you know, 10 or 15 pounds this year. And I'm kind of like, dude, I've been doing that. So I'm, <laughs> right. I feel like I'm ahead of the wave right now. Like, I'm on the crescent of that wave where it's kind of like, again, I don't make resolutions. But if I were to make a resolution... I feel like I'd be like going, I wish I can run an extra five minutes. And I'd bang that resolution out tomorrow, probably. Yeah, because you've been doing like your you've been doing like your five K training thing and you've been going over, actually, because you keep missing the sounds. Oh, man. <laughs> and you know, it's messed up because the app that I use and then I love five K runner, mm-hmm. which works on the iPhone and also on the iWatch or the Apple Watch rather. There was a whole thing about the Apple Watch, people getting it for Christmas and calling it the iWatch, and then... So anyway. Amateurs. Yes. I would... Did I do that? Did I call it that? No. Your friend did. My friend. Yeah. Tiffany called it an iWatch. You dangus, Tiffany. And then, out of the blue, some of your weekend friends started correcting her and saying, let's start calling it an Apple Watch. Oh, God. it's kind of like, there must be so much free time in the world to... You know, figure out, like, what the proper term is. Who gives uh, a shit? You know what I mean. Yes. Right? But um, this app was so, like, instrumental in getting me to the point where I'm at right now as far as running. Because my, my biggest mistake always when I start running is going past what I should. Like you don't know when to stop, right? Cause because like you head, feel like I can take this. I'm Tom Rorty, and I'm coming through. Right. Well, years ago when oh, I stopped running, douche. well, I know <laughs> when I stopped running. I mean, seriously, like I was doing anywhere between like thirteen and sixteen miles a night before you know it came to an end. Does that sound awful to anyone else besides me? Yeah. 
think of all the therapy money I was saving back then. <laughs> like I would just go out and run and just come back and like peel off my <laughs> blisters and be like going, all right, this is what I got to focus on now. Oh my God. Like that was a thing. Like, I don't want to know. Yeah, that was a okay, thing. Okay. 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 But it's good times. <laughs> but now, yeah. Oh, they were. But now, I mean, seriously, it's just a matter of, you know, you run to a point and then the app tells you to stop and then you stop. You don't go any further than that. Even though, like, right now, it's like going, I know that I can do a 5K right now at this very moment. But the app is telling me right now to only run two miles. Two and right. a half miles around that. Don't run a full Because it's letting your body like get used to. Right. So I mean, it it it's been it's been so like saving of muscles and you know and injuries and everything else. But and this... plus, like it gives you like a little incentive because it gives you like badges and stuff like that. Like when I had my Fitbit, I used to love like, oh my god, you walked this many miles and right. you get this thing. Like you've gotten like my favorite badge was like the the uh, Japan badge because it had Godzilla in it, <laughs> and it was just like you've walked the length of Japan, which is like that's cool to be, you're like holy shit right. like because we live in a world where it's like you have to have these like visual stimulants and stuff. True, and and it's good to know how far you've gone. I mean, that's like definitely a cool thing. But the bad thing about the app is, I don't know what happened, but, like, after, like, the first, I would say, four or five workouts, the sound stopped working on it. And I don't know why. And I've read through, like, all the manuals and stuff is like that. Is it something that. to do with the watch itself? I don't think so, because everything else works on it. It's just this one app. And it, it starts off, right, where it's like going, hey, Rana, thanks for taking a run tonight. And then the sound just dies on it. And then now the only way to Are you tell, sure you're not just hearing it because of your music or anything like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, I'm positive because it used mm-hmm. to work with the music. And I wrote to the company, like, I even reached out to them on social media and was like, I love your product, but the sound's not working. Right. What do I got to do? And it's the one thing that's kind of screwing me up lately because, you know, right now it's up to run for 20 straight minutes. Right. And I'm running for 20 and then a five minute cool down and a five minute warm up. So it's like a total of a 30 minute. So it's hard for you to know, like, just when to stop without taking out your phone, which is the whole point of having this connectivity. Right. Technology is a bitch, Tom. So instead of running the 20 minutes that I'm supposed to be running, I'm running, you know, 25, 28 minutes, which is, you know, not what you're supposed to be doing at this point in time. Again, it's not that I can't handle it, but it's just a matter of. I'd like to stay part of the training program. And it's just so messed up. These people won't get back because you would think you reach out to them. Every time I post a badge on social media, within 20 minutes, they repost it from their account. Yeah. But except when it's something that there's something wrong. Yeah. Then they don't answer. And it's just like such a That is very frustrating. Structure of business. But, I mean, you know, that's like the only complaint as far as running. As far as eating, I was super panicked because, you know, after the holidays were over, I went on this. I was just like, I don't want to go on this scale, right? Because I feel like I ate like a lot, but in real life, it's not a lot in comparison to what I used to eat. Right. I just, it's just hard to get a grasp on how much food should be in a plate. Right, right, and I think that, like you know, and especially like we come from families that are, you know, Italian. Mostly, I mean, like your mom cooks like, you know, she she's an Italian. She grew up in an Italian household. So like yeah. 
when there's a family gathering, you have a dinner pretty much of appetizers before you have a dinner. And my parents were always the same way. Like you have courses of all of this food that, you know, that we're going to guilt you into eating because that's what we do, you know? It's a full day event. Yeah, it is. It is a full day event. I mean, like food was out, you know, like around the clock and especially because we were very limited in time. So everything was like condensed because of my work schedule. So it's like, you know, we had all of this food at our fingertips and like, by the end, even I felt like, holy shit, like, I didn't eat nearly as much as I usually do. But by the end of it, I was like, this is more than I've eaten since you've had your surgery. Because, like, that's pretty much, you know, when I started eating better. Right. So it's like, oh, my God, I feel like I'm going to die. Yeah, it was crazy. And, I mean, on Christmas Day, I haven't had a plate that full since before the surgery, then did I would say well, the night before I started liquid I didn't diet. Even think of that because like we like my mom for Christmas we put we use these like really big fancy plates and I didn't even think to say hey put this on like you know whatever the little plates called like a saucer or something like that because that's how we usually eat like when I make Blue Apron you know you're eating from my bowl so you don't get your own bowl because it's like you're gonna have two bites and be full right so no it's point. like yeah and then like when you're eating your own stuff you're putting it on a smaller plate or in a smaller bowl because that's just what it fits into and what you know helps you feel like you know it's not just this big thing on like this tiny little thing on this big plate right you know so it's like oh my god when I looked at your plate I was just like oh my god what are we doing to him like I felt so horrible because I was like but seriously after it was all said and done it doesn't matter because I can't fit it anyway yeah so it was literally like you know I had like uh, there was like salmon, so it was like teriyaki and Hawaiian salmon. So I said, I have a half a piece of each. Mm-hmm. So you put a half piece of each in, and you're like going, all right, well now I got a full piece of salmon. I can't eat a full piece of salmon. Twice baked potato. That sounds delicious. I'll take a half a twice baked potato. I think I had three bites of it. Yeah, and I finished it. <laughs> yeah, and then I was like, oh, I'm like, we had coleslaw, which I haven't had coleslaw in forever, and it reminds me so much of summertime. I'm like, oh, this is gonna yeah. be great. Oh, what, what an awesome comfort food, like coleslaw. And after like three bites of col, like three small bites of coleslaw, it was like, all right, I'm done with coleslaw. Yeah. And then next thing you know, I look down, I'm like, I am so full to the point where I feel sick almost. But I looked down at my plate, and it looks like I didn't even make a dent in it. Right, yeah. And I was like, all right. So my panic was, Jesus Christ, I ate to the point where I felt nauseous that day. The next day at my mom's house, didn't eat to the point where I felt sick, but it was a continual eating. Because, I mean, it was like... Right, usually you walk away, and you're like, okay, I'm done, and then, like, seven hours will go by before you eat again. That's how it is in our house. But in their house, there was no escape from it, because everybody's in one area, and there's... Just plates and plates of and appetizers different arrival everywhere. times for different people who don't like certain things. So it was just yep. like, there was just this constant influx of like things coming out. But instead of like, you know, we, we decided because it was your mom's birthday. Mm-hmm. So we were like, we don't want cooking. We don't want like anything that's going to like require a whole lot of work. So we all communally decided that like we were going to order in. So we ordered from like two different places. And you and I ended up splitting a meal because yes. I was like, at that point, I was like, I don't even want dinner, but I know that, like, we should eat something because by the time we get home, like, I'm going to have to go to bed and it's going to just be like, you know, there's not going to be time to, like, have a snacks later or anything like that. So we, like, split this meal. And, like, it worked out really well, I think, for for the dinner portion of oh the evening. Oh, my God, yeah, for sure. 
because, I mean, we still want a dessert. Yeah, and we still were able to have, like, you know, I didn't have the huge piece of cake that, like, I would normally have. I had a small piece, and I could barely finish it, but I did because it was so freaking good. It was so good. It was so good. But you got to, like, but that's the thing. You got to pick and choose. It's like, do I want to eat a whole, like, piece of stuffed flounder? Yeah. Or do I want to eat a half a piece of stuffed flounder and still be able to have a piece of chocolate cake? Right. You know? And I think that... If nothing else, our decision making has gotten a lot better. It really has. Because there was, because, and I told you this, I was like, because I was starting to get hungry, like when we were on Christmas Day, because, you know, we woke up, we did gifts with my parents, we ate breakfast with my parents, and my dad had to go to work. So, like, and we were just hanging around, you know, like just catching up because we hadn't seen them in a couple months and everything. So, like, by the time it was time to, like, take a shower, it was like, holy shit, like, I'm getting hungry because it's, like, starting to be dinner time because we had to get on the road to come home. So it was like, oh, my God, like, I'm, like, really, really hungry. And my parents, in typical fashion, had bags and bags and bags of chips because that is, like, (laughs) my favorite, like, I love potato chips. I love any kind of chips, like a dip, like, which is, you know, part of the reason why I look like a potato. (laughs) So it's like, you know, so we're sitting there and I'm like, mom, I'm like, I'm so hungry. And she's just starting to, like, make dinner and stuff. And I, like, looked at these chips and I held them in my hand and I'm like, no, like, don't do it. Like, I I seriously, like, had them, like, gripped in my hand like I was going to, like, rip the bag open. And I was like, nope. And I had, like, two pieces of shrimp. And that was that, you know? So it was like I opted to have something like proteiny that was going to be like a thousand times better for me while you were in the shower. And then like Great. we had dinner. But here's the cool thing, though. By the time it's all said and done and we're trying to assess what damage was actually done. And you can assess based on me because, I mean, we pretty much had the same thing outside of when I was in the shower, you sneaky bastard. <laughs> I really, really thought like, man, I screwed up. And like reading from all these bariatric surgeon Mm -hmm. groups and stuff like that that are online and people who've gone through it, I was looking at like their posts and like there were people who said, yesterday I went on the scale and gained five pounds. I went on the scale and gained seven pounds. And, And it was like in a day, in a day. And I was like, geez, I was in so much pain. I must have gained at least five pounds by the time it's all over. I gained under a pound. I think I gained like... 0.8 0.8 pounds by the time it was all said and done and now Which the holidays is, are over with right no and we're back temptation. to completely normal we're back yeah and like and the cool thing was because like i mean it sucks like especially because i've been so hungry this week and i don't know why probably because i ate a little bit more than we normally do so it's like oh like I, forget, it, I remember this i remember having of... like a couple extra things <laughs> you know but um where was i going with that i don't know what happened what was I saying? That we were still healthier. Oh, yeah, way, that we were because... like still healthier. I just like totally like I got like I was thinking about food because I'm I... starting to get hungry <laughs> for dinner right now. <laughs> okay. But what yeah, like that? I just think that like we you know where we've we're definitely a lot better off than we were. And, you know, it wasn't so long ago where like I would gain those five pounds over the holidays because oh, we easily I we didn't know how to like five pounds over the holidays. But the, the difference was we wouldn't do shit about it either. Right. We would gain five pounds over the holidays and it would take like, you know, weeks, if not months for us to like lose that five pounds right. if we ever lost that five pounds. And to one thing, too, was that we were like we because of the way that like our parents changed the way they fed us. 
we didn't have the thousands of leftovers that we usually do, you know, or right. the billions of cookies that are awesome that your mom makes. You know what I mean? So it's like it sucks not to have them, but like to not have them as temptation is really, really great, too. Right. So, I mean, overall, much, much better eating habits over the holidays. I feel like that was about as big as test as we were going to mm-hmm. be faced with. And if we made it past that, you know, it's all pretty much downhill from there because we know we can do it. It's just a matter of continuing to do it. Right. Where before the holidays, we didn't know. Yeah, like, because we were. I was really <laughs> nervous because both of our parents are so accommodating when it comes to food. And it's like, you know, because that's just the way that Italian families are, you know, like. Right. And the best thing about it was, unlike times in the past where we would go away for like the holidays and then we would just be like, well, we have the rest of the vacation to sit on the couch. The next day we went out and we like, you know, roamed around the park. I did a run. You did a mm-hmm. walk. I mean, so I mean. We've been mobile and like, you know, yesterday we went downtown and like we hung out and then tomorrow like we'll go for walks and stuff. Like we've been really making sure that like we're peppering our couch time while we're both kind of. T- I- I'm calling it on break because I don't have to get up at 2.40 in the morning. <laughs> I get to sleep until 4.30. So I'm calling that a break. <laughs> that kind of is a break. It is it a all break. considering it's like an extra three like, hours I sleep. I feel whatever. so much better. Like I feel so much better and I'm sleeping so much better. So like, you know, we've definitely started our resolutions early enough where we're definitely going to keep them through the year because they're not resolutions. They're a lifestyle change. It really is. And I hate that word lifestyle, lifestyle change. change. I do because it's kind of like, I don't know, you get to a certain age and it's like you can't teach an old dog new tricks, you know? And then somehow, but like, you go through this weird thing and it's like going, all right, your choices. You can change your lifestyle and live healthier and better and possibly longer, depending on what your attitude is like. Or you can continue to eat the way you were and be gluttonous, and you're going to be in a lot of pain and misery, and that's what it is. So, I mean, I think it's just a matter of, all right, like, I don't want to And then, like hurt. Tom told me earlier, you know, you're going to die. So Right. You're Well, I mean, you're going to. So you want that to happen? You want it to happen faster. Yeah, like, <laughs> like, come on, man, do something for yourself for crying out loud. Like, it's not like I can carry your body down the stairs alone. For, you know what I mean? Me? Yeah, we don't have anybody else. So what am I gonna do with you? I want to throw you in the elevator. I think, I think, <laughs> I think Rolling Poly Rory can come to an end now. All right. Ah, All right. So really quickly, how was work this week? I loved it because I got to stay home, but it was really busy. Like, it's still just really, really busy because there's a lot of shit going on. There really is. It's either somebody dying every other day like we talked about earlier in the show. (laughs) My God, you keep coming back to that. I feel like I'm... If I'm not on the show next week, please call the police. (laughs) Well, no, not you necessarily, but I'm just saying, like, in the news, like, there's... You know, all this stuff going on. I mean. Yeah, there was like a, you know, like a woman's body was found like a couple blocks away from our apartment in her own apartment. You know, it's like a lot of like sad stuff going on and just a lot of year end stuff. You know, we covered this week because past week because, you know, it's what you do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, lots of big stories and whatnot. So just a reminder of how shitty this year was. Let's right? make a list. <laughs> Honestly, like I was trying, like I was tasked with, you know, coming up with like the biggest stories for New York and 
I was just like, my God, did anything happen? Like, did anything happy happen here? Like, not too much. It was like an explosion in the park, you know, where a kid, like a poor, you know, tourist lost his leg because he stepped on like a homemade device. There was like a train collapse or a crane collapse, a train accident. The bombing in Chelsea. The bombing in Chelsea. Like everything. Like, the protest with Trump. I mean, like, I think the nicest thing that I wrote about was those beautiful stickies that were like, with messages of hope and tolerance and, you know, hope for the future and things like that, that like kind of popped up in a couple transit stations here in the city. Like that, I think was like the nicest thing that I found that I was able to cover this. And yet those things only happen because of all the dark shit that happened <laughs> before. And that's so why I'm just like, like oh, man, that's the nicest story. But I did get to write, um, I know, I don't think, I think it was last week, you know, or two, I don't think I mentioned it on the show, but I got to write about a panda plane in the snow. So that was like. Which everybody must have seen by yeah, now. That was like the highlight of my year. <laughs> that was the highlight of my journalistic career because I got to watch this video for like 20 minutes straight so that I could describe every movement that this <laughs> panda did in the snow as he played with the snowman. It was like <laughs> such a cool video. <laughs> So I'm happy that I got to end my like my year on that. <laughs> good, 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 good. Yeah, so, all right. Yeah, so there you go. Well, how about we get into a uh, Did You Know and wrap this show up? Yes. All right. Did you know? Did you know? I didn't. I, you don't even know if you know you're not that yet. I'm just assuming. All right. Did you know that in 1979, Martin Bissey, Bill Lawswell, and Brian Eno started BC Studios, initially named OAO Studios, in Gowanus, in the Gowanus section of Brooklyn? I did not know that. Well, you knew it when you read the Google Doc, if you would have opened it. Did you open the Google, the Google Doc? I wasn't told that there was a Google Doc. There's always a Google Doc. <laughs> you know it. <laughs> Dear show listeners, <laughs> if you could write in and tell Nikki that there's always a Google Doc because you actually listen to the show, <laughs> that would be greatly appreciated. Well, the reason why we mentioned BC Studios is because that's where Skip Sherry recorded his thing. Yes. His thing. His, his album. <laughs> his thing. Well, yeah, it's his thing. It's his, his it's album, his a thing. bottle it's of whiskey, and a handful of bees. <laughs> All of that. Yes. There at BC Studios, they recorded much of the no wave, avant garde, and hip hop of the early 1980s. And by they, I do mean Bill, Brian, and Martin. It's like Brian Eno, man. I know. It's like so bizarre, right? In, 1990, in 1982, BC Studios is where the instruments for the first song by Whitney Houston as a lead singer had been recorded, which was Memories off the Materials One Down LP. I did not even know anything about that song. You don't know the song Memories? No. Isn't that her? That can't be her. Who is that? No, that's like from like Cats or something. That's not Cats. Cats? Memories? I think Memories is from Cats. I don't know about that. Like, you look it up while I finish this. we were? That yeah. song? But I have a feeling that that was like Bette Midler and not... Well, maybe she recorded... Like, it was the first song she did as a... Like maybe. A... Let's play a little clip from... <laughs> from... What am I even looking at? Whitney Houston's Memories. Shall we do that? Shall I play a little clip from it? Yeah, I guess. All right, here it is. 
So that's the song. Did you know it? Who knows? All right. Soon after recording that, the, th- the trio teamed up to record Herbie Hancock's Rocket. Which was a Grammy Award winner, am I right? Everybody knows Rocket. Right? Bissy, one of the original founders of the studio. Yes. Split from Bill Lawswell, but continued working from Beastie Studios till present time with a specialty in loud, dense sounds, which makes sense for Skip's music. Mm-hmm. Not that his music is loud and dense, but I mean... There's it's a not, lot to it. Yeah, it's it's very, you know, open. Like, it's, it's like, you know... Yeah, it needs a lot of room, like... Yes. Yeah. And that is this week's <laughs> Did You Know. Did you know? You loved it. I loved Did You Know. You did it. But I'm glad that, you know, every time I pronounce a name wrong, like, you get some humor out of it. Well, Tom, we all have to have our little pieces of flesh, I guess. I guess so. <laughs> I like how you're writing Fuck You, Tom, in graffiti all over your pad right now. As It was a note that I left you on a previous recording, and I'm just coloring <laughs> in on it. Well, it's nice to see that, like, some things just never die, but... <laughs> This show will, though. This show's going to die this right show now. Is gonna end, so, yeah. because of that, um, you can carry on our memory by <laughs> checking us out at highregardshow.com. And, of course, if you want to send, like, you know, your obituaries for this week's High Regard <laughs> Show, you can do so to highregardshow at gmail.com. And you could always, always insult us or love us on social media. Just find High Regard Show. So again, we just want to thank Skip Sherry for speaking to us. Um, you know, definitely check out a bottle of whiskey and a handful of bees. And if you are in town in New York City on January 9th, get to get your ass to National Sawdust and see his record release show. That's it. Well, that does it for the very first show of the new year. Yes. Happy, happy, happy new year. Many happy returns and prosperous new year. Live long ish it just went too far it did I, it, it went really too far did. as long as you were like many happy returns i'm like what are they returning <laughs> i don't know what they National... should be re- returning is their reviews for the show if anybody <laughs> reviewed this show good it's your turn to return it we're human tom thank you for listening everybody good night